Welcome to Conversations in the Word. My name is Nick Funderburg. I'm the discipleship pastor here at First Baptist. And today I am joined by two wonderful friends. I'm Mary Catherine Parrott. And I'm Reed Parrott. Tell us who you are uh, in relation to what do you do here at First Baptist? Yeah, so I am the associate pastor of music and corporate worship here at First Baptist. Um, Mary Catherine is my wife. We have been here for about a year and a half um, right now. We've loved being a part of the team here, working with Taylor and everyone on staff. It's just been a wonderful time. Where were you guys before this? So before we came here, we were in Fort Worth, Texas. I was serving uh, a church there called Christ Chapel Bible Church. And Mary Catherine was working on her master's in vocal performance at University of North Texas. So do both of you have um, education degrees in in music? Yeah, we do. Reed and I, we met at Samford and we were in the choir together. So his degree is in worship leadership, basically. And then um, my degree was in vocal performance as well. But we did a lot of stuff in college together, did operas together, did went on choir trips, all the things. So. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, Reed, did you always know that you wanted to go into music ministry? So not really. Um, when I was very young, um, I, you know, I grew up going to church a lot. My, um, my, both of my grandfathers were ministers. And so I had a sense when I was very young of, I remember saying at one point I wanted to be a pastor, but I think it was mostly just because that's kind of what I'd seen my grandfathers do. I really looked up to them. I wanted to be a teacher for most of my going through elementary school, high school, that's what I wanted to do. Even as I was doing college searches, I wasn't really looking at music programs very much. I was mostly looking at their education programs. And then my senior year of high school, I um, had started about a year ago, my junior year, leading the music for our Sunday night youth services. And I just really began to feel I was enjoying that. I really felt that that was um, something that the Lord had equipped me to do, and I just felt a sense that he was maybe calling me to uh, pursue that as a career. So I really made that decision pretty late in my senior year of high school. But even, even in college, there were a couple times when he went through the process of potentially changing his major because he wasn't sure, and just every single time, it's been cool for me to watch, even when we were dating, how God just kept saying, nope, this is where I want you to be. And he would try to, to not do that, but God was very clear. Nope, this is where I want you to be. And it's it's been cool to see God's faithfulness in that way. Yeah, that's awesome. So I just imagine that when you guys are in your homes, uh, in your home, you are just constantly singing opera to one another. This is just... <laughs> Is that the case? Is that what is that what happens? Um, normally singing opera to the dog and <laughs> then maybe to each other. But usually I embarrassed Reed like our first time when we were talking to the choir before we came here because I said something about how we make up songs for our dog, which is very <laughs> true. We do all the time. But I think lots of people do that. They like sing to their dog or whatever. Sure. And, you know, um, but our dog is very cute. So it's easy <laughs> to come up with songs for them because we're always just saying how cute he is. And so we're just singing songs about that. So when you guys were in college and maybe even afterwards as you're preparing for ministry, uh, what were some of the most influential, um, I guess, ministries, music ministries, or maybe some of the most influential pastors in your life that have sort of developed your own philosophy of ministry, your own philosophy of, of music and worship? Yeah, so for me, one of the big things that uh, influenced me in, as a worship leader and just thinking more deeply about 
worship and the role of music within worship um, was a guy named Bob Coughlin. He is the director of Sovereign Grace Music. We sing a lot of their songs at First Baptist, and he's written several books. The book that I read was his first book called Worship Matters, um, and it was it's really geared towards worship leaders. He also has a new book called True Worshipers that's geared for everyone to read, and I'd recommend that to you. Um, and he just really has a lot of great things to say about um, how worship is so much more than music, and the, the music specifically in worship is about so much more than just entertaining people. Um, and so I really benefited a lot from his book, from his podcasts, from reading his articles online. Uh, he was really a big influence on me. So you kind of mentioned there that, as Bob says in his book, that worship is so much more than just music. Um, when you consider um, the the weekly gathering as you prepare for corporate worship, what are some of those significant elements of worship that we practice weekly that are, are just key to corporate worship besides just singing? Yeah, so uh, one of my seminary professors Ligon Duncan has five categories that he uses for what Christians should do in worship. And this all comes from what the Bible has told us about worship. So the first thing we do is we read the Bible, we pray the Bible, we sing the Bible, we preach the Bible, and we see the Bible. And see the Bible refers to uh, the ordinances, so baptism and communion. So that's really ultimately, you can boil down everything we do in our worship service to one of those things. We start By reading from the Bible, we have God speak first by reading from his word. Then we pray. Our prayers are based on the Bible. We sing the Bible by singing songs that are rich with biblical truth and biblical teaching. Then, of course, uh, we preach the Bible by preaching sermons that are um, in accordance with Scripture and that are based on the meaning of that text of Scripture. Um, I'm leaving one out. See the Bible as the ordinances, you know, baptism and communion represent uh, the gospel, really. Mary Catherine, who are some uh, bands or artists that you might recommend others to listen to as they are, you know, worshiping privately or, or with their family? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the key there too, privately versus corporately. Um, that's a different discussion. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been on a good City of Light kick right now. Um, I didn't really know them until their song, Yet Not I, but through Christ in me that we sing a lot until um, that came out. And so since then, I've really loved a lot of their songs. They also have God is for us, um, Ancient of Days, oh yeah, Only a Holy God. There's lots of other songs that they have sung that I really love and resonate with. Um, and um, I was telling Reed that the song that has a chokehold on me right now is it was finished upon that cross. So just look it up if you need a good Easter song, especially. But um, that I love them and I love their style because it's really rich words, but also great music as well. And really, um, for me, it, it's very uplifting and um, not to, um, there's a lot of hymns that I love. I personally did not grow up with hymns. I grew up in a really contemporary church. So, no, you know, I thought In Christ Alone was an old hymn when I was a kid <laughs> before I knew that the Gettys had only wrote it a few years ago. So um, that's for sure that. The Gettys as well, the, I, what I love about the Gettys is that they have kind of taken in a lot of different artists under their wing and helped shepherd them. And so a lot of their content is not just them, but also other artists that they are pouring into. So including City of Light. City of Light is always out there, almost always at their conferences and stuff too. So um, those are two big ones. Sovereign Grace for sure. Their last two albums are have been huge for me. Could you, maybe both of you could answer this, but what are what are the difference 
differences in songs that are good for private worship and maybe songs that are good for corporate worship, what we sing on, on Sunday? Yeah. So when we're singing corporately, um, when we were at the sing conference, we heard Bob Coughlin speak, who Reed had just talked about. And he said, and maybe it was um, Mark Dever, either way, one of those two guys <laughs> said that, you know, we only get about 50 Sundays out of the year, 52 maybe. Um, and so we want to do the best of the best. So that means that we are really careful about selecting each of our songs and making sure that all of them have words that are really rich and teaching the Bible through them. And that means showing all areas of scripture, showing, talking about Christ, um, him being born, his death, his resurrection, and that he's coming again. So a lot of songs that we sing are painting that picture and painting that story because for many reasons, but one reason that I always go back to is that when we're in times of doubt or if we are needing to cling to some truth, a lot of times the first thing that comes to our mind is songs, not always scripture. And Maybe that's not always a good thing, but at the same time, it can be true. So if our songs are also pointing us to scripture, then that's just the best of both worlds right there. I think another really important uh, thing to consider what's different between a song for private worship and corporate worship is in corporate worship, we're expecting and hoping that everyone will sing along. You know, the, the purpose of corporate singing when we get together is for us to all sing together. And so there can be songs that have excellent biblical words and they're so beautiful but if the melody is so high that only Mary Catherine can sing then it's not a very good song for corporate worship you know you want it to be accessible most people in our church are not trained musicians and so we want to pick songs that the average person can comfortably sing and can participate on and that really empower them to um, to really fulfill that call from God to participate in singing so Reed what goes into I guess making a good corporate worship song yeah well, um, there's really, if you think about what the Bible teaches us about singing and the, the purpose of why we do it, there's, I think that you can boil it down to two main things. We sing to give glory to God and to proclaim the glories of God, and we sing to edify and encourage and instruct the church. And so we want to have songs that do both of those things, and the key to both of those is the words. So the music is important. Bad music can ruin a great text, but ultimately, the words are what's most important. So when we're looking at songs, when we're thinking about, you know, whether or not we want to sing a song at First Baptist, the first thing we look at is the words. So I actually read the words. I don't even listen to the music. I just read the words. And we're looking for songs, like I said, that give glory to God. A good worship song is centered on God. doesn't mean we can't sing about ourselves, but we want to sing about ourselves in the context of God. Um, so we want a song that points us to God, that gives glory to God, um, that's theologically accurate, of course. Um, that is, you know, there's there's no false theology in the song, but more than that, that's theologically rich. You know, we don't we want to set a higher bar than just being accurate. We want it to be rich. Um, if we're going to be singing these songs on a regular basis, like Mary Catherine said, if they're going to come back to us in difficult times, we want them to be really rich. We want there to be a lot of meat on the bone in terms of those words. So the words are the most important thing to me in terms of what makes for a good song. Um, but the music also matters, like I said, and, and as we mentioned earlier, you're looking for a song that people are going to be able to sing along with well. So the range is not too high, not too low. The rhythm is not too complicated for our congregation. Um, that it's going to fit stylistically with the rest of what we do. That it's something that kind of works well in our context. And this is, it's very contextual. There's no objective, this is a good song, this is a bad song. It really depends on your own church. So there are songs that work really well at First Baptist that maybe wouldn't work as well at other churches and vice versa. 
Yep. What if I don't like the songs that you choose, Reed? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, there, and it's important because inevitably uh, you're you're gonna not like one of the songs that we sing. I actually don't like all of the songs that we sing. I know Mary Catherine doesn't like all of the songs that we sing. And that's, I think, first of all, it's okay to not like the song. Like we, we're naturally going to have preferences. It's just part of, we can't help that we prefer one style of music over the other. What we do want to work on is our heart posture towards that, because it's, it's one thing to not like the song. Like I said, I don't like all the songs that we do, but if we get to a point where we're unable to engage in worship because we're, we're so focused on the fact that we don't like that song, um, then, then that's really a heart problem internally that we've made worship about you know, an experience that we're chasing or, or our own personal preferences. And so what I try to do, and Mary Catherine, you can share in a minute, what I like to do um, when we're singing a song that I that doesn't really do it for me is I, I first like to focus on what are the words teaching? What is this saying about God? Because every song that we sing, unless something has really slipped through the cracks with Taylor and I and everyone looking over it, there's some profound biblical truth in everything that we sing. And if we can't be moved by truths about who God is, then again, that's a problem with our heart. You know, so reflecting on what's the song saying, um, but also, and I think I think it was Ashley uh, Rutland who posted something along these lines on Facebook. But when we sing songs that we don't like, it's a great way for us to love our neighbors in the church because there are people in the church. That's why we sing these songs. There are people in the congregation that love it, and these songs mean a lot to them. And one of the ways that we can express our unity and our love for them is by singing those songs because it's really deflating. It, it doesn't get to Mary Catherine and I because we're used to it. But if you're in the congregation and you're singing a song and you just love it and you're just really worshiping and then you turn to the person next to you and they're, you know, have their arms folded across their chest. They're not singing along. They're, they're protesting the song, you know, that's really deflating. It's really uh, discouraging. And so we want to sing along on those songs as a way to love our neighbor and as a way to um, foster unity within the church. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, just how that, is a great way for us to love one another. Even just, like I said earlier, for me, I don't resonate with hymns as much because I didn't grow up with them, but I know that a lot of my other brothers and sisters in Christ did. And so I want to, for them to be able to really sing those songs out. And so I'm going to sing them too with them. Um, And I think that's, like you said, Reed, even though, and I think that's something to be mindful of too, even if you don't love the song, um, try not to let it show with your body <laughs> because it can affect the way your brothers and sisters are worshiping because we're all self-conscious about things. Or um, So it just trying to really, like you said, just being sure, why, do, why don't I like this song? Is it because of the it's hard for me to sing or is it because it's just unfamiliar to me? And so just making sure you're checking your, checking your heart in all those places. So. Yeah, and I think that speaks into the corporal aspect of worship. What I mean by that is uh, when we come into that room to worship Sunday morning, we're gathering to worship together. It's not a private experience. It's a public shared experience. It's something that we do together as as the body of Christ. And so when we're, when we're singing, we can't just imagine ourselves in a a private room with God alone and right. uh, everything that we say or think is just between us, but there is a horizontal aspect of worship that's just mm-hmm. as vertical. So yes. you're, you're absolutely right. We are singing to one another. Mm-hmm. And so when we choose not to worship, we're choosing, or when we, when we choose not to sing, we're choosing not to engage Definitely. in worship with one another. Mm-hmm.
what are what are some appropriate, I guess, expressions of worship? Are there inappropriate expressions of worship? And um, yeah, go ahead. So for me, I, like I said earlier, grew up in a church that was much more free with their expression and much more arts focused. We had I had, there was a dance ministry at our church and we waved flags and all the things. But, um, so for me, First Baptist is a lot different than what I initially grew up with, but being in different contexts and us being at different churches, um, it's really made me appreciate not just how you're worshiping with your body, but also with your face too. So again, with us being on the platform most, most Sundays, um, I love just looking into people's faces and seeing them really singing the words with intention. Um, But to go to your point, there, of course, are inappropriate ways to worship, making sure that you're not just raising your hands or waving your hands around because you want to and just because it, you know, that's what looks good, but really doing it because you're trying to be intentional about that's how you worship. And again, that's something that I think coming out of a different context for myself, I had to relearn is that it's not that someone's not engaging with worship when they're not raising their hands or not Mm -hmm. doing whatever. Really what they're doing is just expressing it. They're worshiping their own way. And so just trying to always remember that. But also I, what I want is for people to always feel the freedom to raise their hands or, or not. Um, But to know that our church and church in general, it is a safe space to be able to express yourself however you want to. Um, and I've, I've had people say to me before that they just feel uncomfortable raising their hands because everybody else isn't doing it. But just remembering that if you feel led to do that, then go for it because the Lord will be honored by that. And But remembering that it's all about the mindset about why you're doing it and not mm-hmm. for the looks and the show of other people to seeing it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about you know, we do want people to feel free to express themselves in worship. And I would say for a lot of us as, you know, people who grew up in more Baptist, uh, maybe a little more buttoned up congregations and, and settings, we probably should be a little bit more um, expressive. People will often say, you know, we'll be so animated and excited about football games and things like that. But when we come to church, we're like, well, no, that's not appropriate to do at church. You know, so it is appropriate to, to, you know, throw your, your hands up in the air. Like we should be moved emotionally by what we're singing and what we're reading about from God's word. I think MacArthur makes a good point that we want to be careful against on the one end where maybe I come from is, you know, not doing that, buttoning that up, covering up out of being embarrassed. But on the other end of that, we don't want to equate physical expression with true engagement in worship, because it's just as easy. And when you talk to people from some of these churches, like Bob Coughlin, he, he says a lot of times people put their hands up and they haven't even started singing anything yet. You know, so he's like, what are, <laughs> what are you responding to when you've done that? Uh, he, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but he talks about physical expressiveness. And he says that our aim when we are being physically expressive should be to point to God's glory and to express our satisfaction in him. So we want to be physically expressive to the extent in which it uh, is, is reflecting what we're feeling about what we're saying and singing about God. So we've spoken quite a bit about corporate worship and briefly about private worship when we're in our car singing, but what are some ways in our homes that we can faithfully practice worship? Is it necessary to sing in our homes? That's a great question. Um, I'll talk on this and then I'll let Mary Catherine take over because she really practices this a lot better than I do. I would say that it is not necessarily necessary for us to sing in our homes. I think it's a good thing. It's always a good thing for us to sing mm. 
uh, when we worship. Like like we've said, the Bible calls us to sing, and it's a way that we can um, communicate to God and give glory to God. Um, one of the ways that I sometimes benefit from music in my own personal worship time is, yes, by singing, but sometimes just by reading. Um, sometimes, you know, there might be hymns in the hymnal that I don't know, but I can be really encouraged and edified by just the, the poetry of the lyrics and by um, the rich words that have been written there. So that's one way, if you're not necessarily wanting to sing a lot at home, I do think <laughs> it's still good to sing and, and to practice singing. The more you sing, your voice is a muscle. So the more you sing, the more comfortable you'll become with it. Um, but sometimes just reading those words and reflecting them or, or praying uh, the lyrics to a song can be a meaningful thing in personal worship. This is kind of a hard question for me to answer because... I have always loved to sing. I've always enjoyed it. Um, and I recognize that it does come easier for me than maybe you, Nick. But, um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, think, I don't think that singing in your home is required. But I do think that um, creating a love for worship and a love for s- singing in general um, is, it is really wonderful and it can just enrich your heart, enrich your life. Um, my family, all, none of them are really, I don't even consider myself a professional musician, even though I do have degrees in music, but none of us are going to be on Broadway or, you know, we have like big careers in music or something like that, but we all just enjoy singing. So that's just kind of been a part of our family lifestyle for me growing up. Um, and I think it's a privilege that Reed and I get to do that together every Sunday morning, but also around our home. And, um, Again, I recognize that we both can play instruments and that's helpful, but um, I think creating a culture in your home where worship is normal and listening to music and enjoying singing and um, I'm very passionate about you don't have to be a good singer to love singing and to enjoy worshiping and um, just getting away from feeling self-conscious about that, but always remembering the focus is about offering it up to the Lord. Um, so I think that it can only enrich your life and enrich, enrich your worship on Sunday morning when you're able to really have a culture in your home, in your heart of enjoying singing, enjoying worshiping, um, and lifting all of that back up to the Lord. All right. As we're about to close up, I know we're running out of time here. Why don't you guys share some of your favorite worship songs? How about your favorite worship song? Just so we have enough time, oh, man, my favorite, um, it's hard to pick a favorite, but one that's really resonating with me right now, um, and I actually shared it this morning with some other people, is Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw Near, which is not a super popular hymn. It's, it's one that I only learned recently, but I learned it in a time when I really needed to hear those words. It was, it's such a comforting song, and what I really love about it is the way that it's written, it really encourages us to sing it to each other. So, you know, Afflicted Saint, or Sing with Joy, Afflicted One, The Battle's Fierce, But the Victory's Won. God shall supply all that you need as your days, your strength shall be. You can sing that to yourself, but I love especially on Sunday mornings when we sing it and I'm feeling good, but I look around the congregation and I know I see people and I know what they're going through and I can think of singing it to them as an encouragement to them um, as it's been an encouragement to me. So I really love that hymn. I really love Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. I always feel like I slur those words when I say them, but um, that is just such a, powerful song and it just a great example of telling the full story of Christ and what he's doing and what 
we, you know, the freedom that we have in him, all those things. So I just loved singing that one. And I love now that when we first came, that was a new song to us and we introduced it to the church. So then once we, now it's at the point where we've had people be like, I just love that song. I just love when it's played. So that makes me excited too, that now it is a first Baptist song. We all sing it out together. I feel that way. Every time we sing it, it's very, everyone sings it very loud and proud, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, those songs that you can describe as First Baptist songs, those songs that when I hear them, I immediately think of my church family. Those are my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you.